the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Danny Cannell, Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons, and Tom Fernelli. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Danny Cannell. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson. This is the first episode of the artist formerly known as a Georgia pod, temporarily an Arkansas pod. No, we are now a Vanderbilt podcast. Woo! Anchor down, down. boys. That's right. (laughs) So, um... No more fading Vandy, Danny. I know, right? I feel I'm going to feel bad about that if it's hey, who is Vandy playing this weekend? Hammer it! I can't do it next year. We're going to take it easy on the Vanderbilt plays. I mean, we could, hey, money's money. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, if it's if it's the right side, it doesn't right. mean that you're you're not going to jump into it. Uh, we we had a lot of calls for an emergency podcast, but because the way these things. Um, are going to be, you know, addressed, announced, uh, this, that, or the other. You know, all, Barton Simmons spending all that time impersonating a hockey player around downtown Nashville at bars probably held up the compliance and the background check. But uh, as you probably heard, we are expecting an official announcement uh, any day now that we'll have Barton Simmons as the general manager of Vanderbilt football. Uh, that is the way that I understand it, sort of like a director of player personnel. He's going to oversee uh, not only the recruiting, the transfer portal, uh, being able to also deal as a somebody who leads the marketing department. Uh, it's, it's a unique position for somebody who is an absolute unique talent across the board. So now let's roast the hire. Uh, what, what, <laughs> what, what do we think about the hire, right? This, they wanted an emergency podcast for us to break down the pros and cons of this hire. Uh, Barton Simmons to Vanderbilt. What do we think? I mean, I like if you're Clark Lee and you've had a very good career as a defensive coordinator and you're getting your first shot at a head coaching job, do you want to hire some podcaster to be on your coaching staff like did you see the guy's record in the locks pod it's not like he knows what he's talking about he's only right about 52 percent of the time is that the kind of hit rate you're looking for when it comes to finding players exactly i mean barely eked out a victory over a bunch of sleps like us like what kind of resume builder is that i'd be worried if i was clark lee so the uh that we put any like poor bowl performance has to be like something that we immediately point to. It's just not a good sign for the momentum going into the hire and going into the season, right? <laughs> no, I mean, he got out the pot at the right time. He left. <laughs> he left after the the regular season locks victory. He capitalized on that. Clearly, there was buzz around the head coaching hires and the coaching circles. There were a lot of rumors about him parlaying that locks victory, which he eked out into a coaching job. And clearly, it was just time. 
So he d- saw all his seniors graduating and knew that he had a rebuild in front of him <laughs> and said, Gotta get the hell out of town before they can me. Um, <laughs> we are very excited for Barton. Uh, I do feel like I have been hoodwinked, bamboozled <laughs> because he, we always call it said like, Oh yeah, Clark's Lee, your Clark Lee is your guy. Clark Lee is your guy. And, and I, I just straight up didn't even know they played high school ball together. Oh, I did. I completely. I mean, I should have seen it coming, right? I mean, he's out here <laughs> talking about what a great it was like. I, I don't know if you guys saw the Clark Lee press conference, but he crushed it. Absolutely crushed it. I should have known this has been decades in the making. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure if we go back and listen to some some locks pods and stuff throughout the season, you might be like, hey, wait a minute. He was telling us the whole damn time this was going to happen. Yeah, we need the cover three super fans to go back and find the little nuggets that he dropped along the way uh, over the years, because I I just thought that that was, you know, one of his guys, you know, like. He goes to visit Louisville. He comes back talking about, man, Scott Satterfield's got it figured out. He goes to Notre Dame, comes back. He's like, Clark Lee is doing some things right. Like, I just, you know, I I, I just thought it was the classic Barton Simmons goes to visit a campus, comes back infatuated with everybody he met. Uh, he did not mention that, uh, that they've known each other and then they were high school teammates uh, at Montgomery Bell Academy. So it's awesome. Awesome. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's all, if and he doesn't have to move like he's right there. It makes a lot of sense. If your high if your high school teammate is like, "Hey man, let's go do this," like that's that's very very cool. We are excited. He is going to be on this podcast. This isn't the uh, end of Barton Simmons. Um, Maybe if we let him being know. on this podcast, <laughs> he's playing hard to get right now. But we do intend to book the general manager of Vanderbilt football uh, here in the near future, so that he can uh, answer all of our questions about. Uh, the higher the process and the future of the Commodores, among other things. Uh, it, is, it is crazy how quiet the, uh, the group text got in the last 24 hours. Somebody yeah. suddenly not answering all the texts. It's like, you know, he's already moving on and forgetting about us. We're small time now. He's, he's, he's the general manager now. We're just a bunch of podcasters. He set us to do not disturb so quickly. (laughs) (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) No alerts for this conversation. Uh, What's the over under on how quickly he leaves the conversation as soon as it's officially. (laughs) Oh, he's got to stay in there. I want, I want to know that we've got a direct line to the general manager of Vanderbilt football TBD. Uh, all right. So a lot's happened in addition to the, the Barton news becoming somewhat public again, Vanderbilt at this time as we're recording as an officially announced it, but like Steve Wiltvong wrote an article, Bruce Feldman, like all the insiders except us who are famous for breaking news is out here reporting it. So that's why we figure we should address it. News that is official is that Steve Sarkeesian has been hired as the new head coach at Texas. Tom and I got in uh, a little bit of instant reaction as it broke while we were on HQ, just making some orange bowl picks. Danny, uh, as, as we've even now had, had a little bit of time to digest it, what's, what's standing out to you about Sark at Texas? And is there a, is there a storyline that you, you're latching onto, or, or do you even already have a feeling about whether or not you think this is going to be something that is going to work out for both parties? Um, I'm curious to see how this goes. I mean, obviously this is one of the most expectation filled jobs in the country. Uh, I didn't love the fact that they parted ways with, uh, ways with Tom Herman when they did seven and three season. I thought his team still fought till the end. Like I, I don't, 
I, when I evaluate head coaches and should you fire them or not, I don't look at um, the records necessarily, but I want to see if a team is progressing, if they're, if they're buying into the messaging, if they're still rallying around you. And I thought Texas was. Uh, so I, that's the thing that was kind of shocking about this. I do feel like that the Charlie Strong quote might actually play better for Sark than it did for Tom Herman. Remember the uh, the Charlie Strong quote about him saying, I baked hey, a cake. I baked the cake. Now he's going to get to enjoy it or I forget the finish line or whatever it was. But I do feel like there is some talent on that team. I think Sark's probably glad that Sam Ellinger has announced he's gone to the NFL from what we saw of the quarterback in the bowl game uh, in Casey Johnson, it looked pretty good. Uh, what you saw in Bijan Robinson looked pretty good. Like he's got some offensive weapons that are going to be there. The recruiting rankings, I'm sure it caught out to you guys when they showed all the teams that are kind of in that 80% range. Texas was right there uh, with Alabama, with Ohio state. Um, uh, so like that, he's going to have some good weapons. I will say this though. I just, I get worried. Same reason I was worried about Tua when he comes out of Alabama and then you plop him in with the Miami Dolphins in the NFL. It's, I I don't want this to be an insult, but it's a lot easier to call plays when you have the best wide receiving core in the country, including maybe the best receiver we've seen in the past five to 10 years, the best offensive line in the country, the best running back in the country and a quarterback who's playing as a top five quarterback in the whole entire country makes it a little bit easier to call those plays and look like a genius. Now, you know, you're still going to have that type of success and, uh, you know, efficiency and just it's, just, it's a different animal. I'm happy for Sark. I like Sark. He's a good guy. I'm all about second chances and, and third chances. You know, one of them due to personal issues at SC and then one for uh, production at, at, in Atlanta with the Falcons and the NFL. Um, but, I don't know. I, all these hires, I've learned not to say it's going to be horrible or it's going to be a home run hire. Like, it's probably going to be in three or four years. He's probably going to be close to Oklahoma. Maybe he knocks him off once, but does he get this team in the playoff? And that's how he's going to be judged because Oklahoma's already been there and they're going to be in that conversation. So we'll see. Like, it's kind of, I know that's not the hot takey angle to take, but I mean, it's probably going to be the reality of the situation. And that's the thing, like you mentioned, the quote-unquote home run hire. I'm pretty sure Sark is the third straight home run hire that Texas has made. Like, <laughs> yes. Charlie Strong was a home run hire. Tom Herman was a home run hire. Sark's a home run hire. It's like, okay, let's find out. I, I've talked about it enough. I'm skeptical. It's nothing against Sark as much as it's the situation as a whole. And it's the fact that, like, I understand why you're moving on from Herman because – he wasn't winning as many games as you want. I get it. That's your prerogative. If you're Texas, if you're the people in power that are making these decisions, but you, I, I thought that if they were going to do this, they were going to come with a big name and that's not a knock on Sark. It's just Sark didn't strike me as the kind of person that they were going to, you know, pull the trigger on Herman for particularly because, you know, at stops at USC and at Washington, Sark has a worse record than Tom Herman did at Texas. So it's, I, I don't know. We'll see if that save and shine works on him. I, I think what's more interesting now is now that Sark's gone, my favorite thing is the report this morning that Saban's <laughs> looking at Adam Gase and Bill O'Brien to replace Oof. Sarkeesian. Uh, if he can do, if he can turn now, I, I'm big. I'm a bigger believer in Bill O'Brien. Uh, and he's had a as success. a coach, not a GM. <laughs> exactly. As a coach and as a play caller, as an off and as a quarterback, you know, guy, I have more faith in him than I do in Adam Gase. Um, but that's going to be fascinating. Like you talk about, 
what makes Nick Saban the greatest. There, there might be more accomplishments from Nick Saban that aren't national championships that will have him deserving of the greatest ever. Um, you know, how many coaches he's had fired in the SEC is a phenomenal accomplishment because everybody's uh, judged by him. But the coaching tree, like if the if this if if Adam Gase and Bill or Bill O'Brien or whoever it is parlays that into another job, that will be an accomplishment in and of itself. Like that'll be insane. One, two more things on Sark. Real quick, I do think Sark will be the closest thing. No one's Mac Brown, mm-hmm. but personality-wise, working the boosters, the high school coaches, Sark's been at USC. That's an advantage. There is an advantage to having been there, having been the head guy there, the uniqueness of having to cater to a lot of big personalities who hold a lot of influence. So I think that'll help. And I think he's, you know, Herman's a little bristly. He, you know, he can be a little bit different. Um, Charlie Strong clearly didn't fit in with the high school scene. And then maybe the most important thing is the hires that he's going to bring in. Like if he amasses a staff, you know, Will Muschamp, if he brings him to be his defensive coordinator, there's going to be a lot of excitement around Texas. Like, and I, I think he will. There's, there's a part of me that says Texas doesn't do this with Sark alone. It's behind back channeling and all these guys have staffs ready to go. Like they know who they're going to call and whether it was Sark or his agent says, Hey, do you know he can get this, this, and this lined up to come with him? Then that's probably why this mood was made and closed so quickly. The other thing is let's let uh, analysts stick to being analysts and reporters stick to being reporters. That's the lesson to be learned from all of that. Who are you talking to, Danny? <laughs> My guy Pollock. <laughs> I, I love Pollock, but I mean, like, what was that? Was the weirdest worded tweet ever. And it just didn't make sense. And then it was completely false. I don't know what the heck was going on there. But, oh, like, but been, it, it set too many the internet. Analysts have been burned. Yes, yes. It set the internet off because everybody wanted to see this, like, They wanted to see Texas bungle a hire. And all I could think about, all I could think about is that if, and shout out to Coco for uh, tabbing this, if we have to do an emergency podcast to the emergency podcast (laughs) to to walk back the thing that we have already done, I'm going to be very, very, very upset uh, with everybody involved in the hire at Texas. Danny, I love, I picked up on this. Uh, You are pretty consistently, he was fired too early. Like I, oh yeah, I'm too faithful to a fault. I I, I do like. I, I like that me. because the, some people are too fast to fire, and they get trigger happy, and they always want to fire the coach, fire the coach, fire the coach. In the economy of takes, I kind of like that you're always uh, on the position of the sitting coach. Where I think that that opinion doesn't get brought up enough. And Her- Herman was like th- four years into it. And this fourth year, you would even have to put all kinds of extra disclaimers on what kind of a season it was with limited offseason. He had just changed his offensive coordinator and his defensive coordinator. They're better, Sark better have blown them away in the interview process uh, to be able to be so confident making a move like this. Uh, I also just think in general that the schools, fan bases, boosters, there's too many cooks in the kitchen that are having way too much influence. And the majority of the time, the decisions that are made like that are the wrong ones. Like, I I just, I don't know. I, I look at, there's too many firings that happen with way too much money left. Like it's just, it's fiscally irresponsible. Some of these decisions that are made too soon when you could have let it played out Uh, play out for another year or two and you know like let no one lets anyone work through adversity they don't let you get better they don't let you learn how to be a head coach like 
there's just there's just too many irrational decisions that are made in an irrational sport. I get it. Fan bases are passionate. There's a lot of money donated. There's a lot of money given, but it just leads to some craziness. And we've seen it like we've been, it's not new, but it just every single year I see this coaching carousel get cranked up and I just look at it. And I'm like, this is insanity. Like what we, and I'm not coming at it from the angle that we see where, Oh, there's not enough money and the players should be paid. It's just from just a basic, I mean, it happens in the NFL too. I mean, it's not just college football. You just see too much turnover in a sport where a lot of times if you look historically at some of the greatest coaches ever, it took them a long time to get great at what they did. Well, and like, even if you remove the financial aspect from it, like, you know, the buyouts and all that crazy crap that people are paying these coaches to go away. If you just look at it from a results perspective, like with how quickly people are to pull the trigger on coaches, how many new hires win more games? Like it's, it's not all that different from like drafting a quarterback. When you think of like the hit rate, they're really for every coach that you hire, that is actually a home run hire that comes in and improves a program and improves a school's program on the field. There's like 40 that either do the same or actually decrease the production you were getting from the coach before. So yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Danny. I think that the smarter thing to do more often than not is just to give it time because there's really no rush because the next guy's just as likely to fail as the guy you got. And Coca chimed in via text. He said, Saban ruined for everyone. I would argue, go look at his tenure at Michigan State. Like today, he might not make it through four years at Michigan State. He was six, five, and one, six and six, seven and five, six and six. Then he had a nine and two, which he parlayed into LSU job. Like today's era, he might not make it past year three. So, uh, you know, can't get it, can't contend. You know, like I just like it, we just make too many quick rash decisions. By the way, can we get to the Mullen rumors? Because I'm I'm very curious to see. Like, are these legit? I or oh, let me let me rephrase it. We'll take Mullen off the table because I did was reading a long piece about Dan Mullen and how there's a contract. You know, there's no contract extension, and he's had the most wins in three years and all this. Is there one more surprise left? We'd probably be foolish to say no, right? I mean, just historically. I mean. The NFL cycle is about to kick. I mean, it's already started. Like today we saw, let's see, Gase has been fired. Um, there's five open NFL jobs, five or yeah. six, something like that. Yeah, and there's been plenty of rumors too. Like you mentioned the Mullen rumors. There's apparently Urban Meyer wants $12 million a year to go coach the Jaguars, which, okay. And then there's, you know, there's not. Khan might back it up for him. He might cut the check. I know I need shot to save that money for Illinois. Uh, as for, <laughs> I mean, like Fitz, isn't Pat Fitzgerald open to d- discussions? It, his, his name's been mentioned. Yeah. And Jim Harbaugh. I, and I think like, I don't think Fitz is leaving Northwestern for an NFL job unless it's the bears. I mean, he's been out, he's publicly said that the bears are like one job he would have a really hard time saying no to. But if you look at the situation at Northwestern, Jim Phillips has left. He's going to become the ACC commissioner. And it's like, if he's looking around the offices, there's probably going to be fewer faces that he recognizes or at least has that kind of, you know, relationship with that he had to Jim Phillips. So maybe this year he's really, truly more open to it. I still don't see it happening. The Harbaugh stuff. I, I don't know. I guess you can never really rule it out, but I'm not really believing it. I think Mullen's more realistic though. I think Mullen is the kind of guy that would like an NFL job. It would kind of like that maybe profile that comes with it and maybe just the change in it in that, you know, it's not every coach loves the whole recruiting grind, man. What well, if his, uh, this is the last time this team is together 
had nothing to do with the opt-outs or about what they were going to do in the postseason. What if that was Dan, Dan Mullen was like, this is the last time that we're all together, all of us. <laughs> I, I do think, and this is interesting, because I feel bad for our guy Barton jumping in. <laughs> He's getting into this crazy world. That there, we are at this major like tipping point of college football with name, image, and likeness, transfer portal, where it does feel like it's going to be kind of a free for all. And it's not necessarily going to be it used to, it's always been in college, the coach's way and it's his way or the highway, you know, and Hey, you do, you follow my, my rules and societally we've changed, but also rules were changing where you can't have that messaging anymore. You can't just tell a kid, Hey, you know, this is my team. No, the kid's going to be like, why? Why aren't I playing more? Where's my play? If I don't play, if you don't give me some reps, I'm transferring. And you can't do anything about it. You can't say, well, we're going to block that. We're going to make you sit out a year. Um, There's the mentality of you always had players who played for the love of the game, right? Just because we love the game, we don't need money. And now players are like, hey, where's our piece of the pie? Where's Where's our ability to make some money? And all that's about to change. I think some coaches and maybe Mullen like, is part of this. I, I think so. I, I think mm. so. I think Jim Harbaugh. Are you kidding me? Harbaugh, who has not had the resounding all out. Like, think about he is the ultimate old school coach. Like, hey, I'm going to be physically tough and we're going to outwork everybody in the Michigan way and loving the collegial feel. And he gets players who are opting out and, you know, who aren't giving effort because the season kind of went sideways and they threw it in the towel. I'm t- I just I think there's a lot of coaches that are like, hey, if it's gonna be about the money, and from you know, then I'm gonna go play, or I'm gonna go coach where it is truly about the money, and I don't have to worry about recruiting, I don't have to worry about catering to you. If you're not good or you don't like what I'm doing, I'll cut you, like because you can't do that. So I, I think a lot of coaches are looking at this as maybe an opportunity. Trust me, there'll still be a lot of good coaches available, but I think some coaches are probably looking at this whole big picture and like, forget this. So I will give Harbaugh. Not credit, but he throws us some curveballs sometimes. He was out on the players should be able to go to the NFL draft whenever they want. Like mm-hmm. he he is mm-hmm. uh, backs it. He believes that's like, yeah, that should yeah, be right. Yeah, and and he sort of promotes that. Like he's he does throw in um, because I I would paint him as old school and like no surprise Harbaugh is such an oddity of like a character that it's like yes I am old school. But also, I believe Black Lives Matter. I marched with my players, and I think players should be allowed to be drafted, and it's a ridiculous system that they have to go be in college for three years. And you're like, huh, okay. Well, you know, that's okay, Jim. Um, do the result you- of spending a bunch of time in the NFL. Yeah, mm. good call. Um, so- I agree with that take, by the way. I think they should be able to go anytime. But see, yes. here's where I think that Harbaugh would potentially get blindsided where if he made this big push and they did, they were okay with this. And then a player, you know, his sophomore year tears it up and is, you know, all big 10 offensive player of the year. And then it's like, peace out. I'm leaving. I'm skipping the bowl. I think Harbaugh would be like, wait a second. You committed to us this season. You didn't say you were turning pro yet. The other thing I'm telling you what is going to happen within the next three or four years, there's going to be a player that skips a playoff game. Absolutely. Like, cause I yeah, think it's Alabama funny. did against Ohio state in the semifinals back in 2014. <laughs> <laughs> they but showed I, I do, up, but they, right, they skipped right. it. But I do, I think it's comical. Cause I am, 
Hey, you know, and I was irritated with the floor. I get it, but I was irritated. I'm like, I don't love this. I don't like this trend. And everybody's like, Ooh, it's a meaningless bowl game. You know, you're not getting paid at some point. An agent very wisely is going to point out. It's just a worthless trophy. Like you're going to get a ring that's worth about 300 bucks. Are you going to risk it all for that? When you could have 25, $30 million and some player is going to say, you know what? You're right. You know, or we're going to see an injury in a playoff game and that's going to wake everybody's eye up and they're going to go like, like, thank goodness this didn't happen with Devonte Smith. Remember he gets up slow and he pulled his back and he was sitting there. I guarantee there were some people saying, Oh, is this really worth it? You know, there's agents out there. They're going to pounce on that. And at some point a player is going to come to that realization or make that decision and say, you know what? You're right. It's not worth it. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to make my money. And Sorry. it's going to be hard to fault them because it's a business decision and that's the best business decision. I guess what you're saying is that we should just get rid of the playoff then and go back to bowls and then just have polls decide who the champion is because that way players can opt out without feeling bad about it. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Maybe that would be it. Like the whole expand the playoffs is going to solve it. As much, I'm a fan of expanding the playoffs. I don't, I don't think that's the solution to all of a sudden opt-outs ending. There's always going to be players that are going to, especially just from now on, I think the mid to late season opt-out, eight or nine weeks in, I think it's just going to be a part of college football now. Before we move yeah. on, what was your, what is, what is the anchor of the Mullen uh, potential NFL argument? Like, is it that he's interested or the NFL teams are interested in him? I don't, I, I think there's a little bit um, of an, potential issue cropping up with and I, you know, after Mullen came out with all his comments, I'm like, you guys, I'm like the Mullen and the Gators are perfect for each other. Right. Gator fans are so obnoxious. They're so cocky. They like to talk without having have done anything. This is going back to the Florida state, Florida rivalry in case you don't know where it's coming from. But I do think that Florida prides itself on doing things the right way, even though it's kind of funny because what urban had so many guys on that team, but this latest NCAA infraction and, you know, all the kind of bad publicity that Mullen brought on the program with the excuses after the Texas A&M game. And then literally the same week they have a COVID outbreak. Oh, let's and then pack the, the Mizzou swap. game. Yeah. And then, and then after that, there was the Missouri debacle where he's out there you know, saying he's trying to calm it down, but he's really, you know, telling everybody to get up and keep bringing it. Like it just like, and he, he should be thankful for Dabo because Dabo took so much of the negative publicity across college football. But I think in Gainesville, there's some people that look at it and like, when you look at it, they still had four losses this year. And he, the thing that's amazing is they've been able to spin it as such a great season when there was another coach who got run off making back-to-back -back SEC championship games but it just kind of ended sourly. So there's an expectation there. Um, you know, I, don't, it's, I just think it's interesting. I, I, I hope he comes back. Like, I like Dan Mullen. I think he is good for the Gators. I think he's done a fantastic job. But I just wonder if – and I think there isn't a contract extension on the table. And if there's not, he's probably like, what's going on here? Where's my money? Yeah, and, like, the other thing about Mullen rumors, too, is it's like – it's not coming from like message boards. Like it's Adam Schefter who's saying that Mullen is actively seeking an NFL job. And there's reports that like if the Jets were to offer him the job, they think he would take it. So clearly, I mean, he's he's never he's been asked about it plenty of times over like the last year or two. And he's never really come out and just said, no, I'm not interested. He's kind of always, you know, 
given non-answers to it, which non-answers are generally pretty strong answers. And I think that it's since it's considering the source of where it's coming from, I think that it's a plausible, realistic scenario. But whether or not the NFL teams are interested in him, I don't know. But I do think that if you look at the way NFL teams have kind of changed their philosophy as far as hiring coaches and just generally the philosophy of the way that they run their offenses, I do think that Dan Mullen, what he's been able to do, you know, what he was able to do at Mississippi State, what he was able to do at Florida as the offensive coordinator before that, what he's been able to do with this Florida offense this year with, you know, Chip, a quarterback who throws paper airplanes. (laughs) I think that he is somebody who would be appealing to the right NFL team. And if like you're the Jets and you're maybe considering drafting Justin Fields with the number two pick, the idea of pairing him with Dan Mullen might not be the worst thing in your mind. And life is about timing, right? When to make these decisions. You just had your quarterback who you maximized. I mean, absolutely maximized the most out of Kyle Trask. You had one of the best tight ends we've seen in recent history. Your defense was like right on, like right on the edge of being bad, but kept you in there. Like the perception of you right now is you could parlay this into it. But what if Emory Jones isn't the answer. What if that defense doesn't get any better? And look what's happened in Georgia. Like, they're not going anywhere anytime soon, and they just got over that hump. Like, Nick Saban's not going anywhere. Like, so if you were looking at timing, I think you'd be smart to kind of weigh those options and look around. Plus, I I was not aware – I just saw this before we came on of the money that NFL coaches make because we're so, oh man, the nine, 10 million is insane for college coaches. And I mean, look at what Gruden got. And that wasn't even that, like that wasn't even at the top of the list. We get a hundred for 10. So he's getting like 10 a year. I just read an article said Belichick gets 20. Pete Carroll's 15 plus Sean Payton's 15 plus you just had Matt rule. Didn't he get seven and a half or eight plus? Like he got a decent, I can't remember what it was off the top of my head, but, but it was seven it was years yeah. and it's scary. Like I, I, that's why I think some of these coaches are like, Hmm, let me kick the tires and see what's out there. I mean, urban Meyer asking for 12 is it sounds crazy. Cause we're used to the college game, but if I was him, I'd ask for more than Gruden. Why not? Uh, Matt Rule signed a seven-year, $60 million contract with incentives that can take it up to $70 million. So we are talking north of $8 million per year. Not bad for the former Temple coach to uh, be. We're the idiots still sitting here on this podcast. <laughs> Bart's is, is a smart one. He's going to chase the big pot at the end of the, the gold at the end of the rainbow. I've got like these coaching books right here. I need to start reading them a little bit better and maybe start putting it into practice. <laughs> Coming up on the other side, we've got some injury news, some updates from the college football playoff national championship game, Alabama, Ohio State, one week from today. We'll get into that and more next. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So uh, we had Nick Saban and Ryan Day speak to the media today. It was the first uh, availability. We'll also have a little bit more on Wednesday and Thursday before the game on Monday, January 11th. Be on the lookout. Our championship locks tentatively scheduled for Thursday. I'd like to be able to get some props in if possible, but Tom, I guess did last time we didn't see props really come out until like maybe yeah, two they, days before the game. There were not props available for the semis that I could find on reputable sites until like Thursday night, Friday morning. Okay. So we'll, uh, we, we will have a preview for sure. And we'll include our picks against the spread over under. If we've got props, we will add those in as well. Uh, be on the lookout for that later in the week. Also, uh, we will be diving into Tom's bowl rankings, a 8,000 word tome that has been posted to, uh, CBS. I wish I could share with the listeners, the direct messages I got from my editor when I turned that thing in on Monday morning, <laughs> the most thorough analysis of the, uh, the postseason you could possibly ask for. Um, but so here's uh, Justin Fields takes a nasty hit from James Skalski in that impressive college football playoff semifinal win after the game. He says, uh, what did the doctors tell you? He says, Oh, the doctors didn't tell me anything. They gave me a shot or two, and then I went back out there. So they didn't give you a diagnosis? No, they didn't give me any diagnosis. Uh, he It was announced today that he will start, no surprise here at least, uh, against Alabama. Um, do y'all expect that Justin Fields is going to be all good to go, no impact on, uh, no physical impacts? Like, Are you limiting what we might see from him because – we just saw probably the best game of his college career on one of the biggest stages. Is he going to be able to uh, to repeat that? Uh, other reports coming out, just Justin Fields related, they were, he felt a little bit better than what they were expecting the next morning. Once you know everything starts to wear off and he starts to really get sore, who knows whether that's true or not? Um, how are we feeling about Justin Fields' health as a potential X factor in the title game against the Tide? I don't know, Danny. How good does that shot feel? <laughs> Oh, you can't feel anything. That's the best part about it. Like you won't be like, that's why I was looking at him coming out the second half. I'm like, oh, he definitely got a shot because he was kind of <laughs> running around. No more like every first half. It was every little movement was like, he, was Ooh, like, he can hardly get on the exercise bike. And the second half he's running and jumping. I'm sure they'll have shots ready to go if they need them. They'll probably have to do it again at, at halftime if they need to. I'm assuming too that you know, this is in conversation with him and his family and the medical staff that it is one of those pain tolerance deals where you can't hurt it worse, where maybe it's severe bruising. Um, I'd be shocked if it was anything else. Um, but like, what are the chances if he was healthy, you get that performance again? I mean, that was insane. Uh, the performance he put on, I like, I'd be shocked if he did it again, just because to play the percentages, like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I, you can't do that again. Lightning can't strike again. And yet it would like, that'd be awesome. I'll be rooting for it. I'd love to see him have that performance again. I'd love seeing heroics like that. I didn't see it coming chip. Do you remember we did an HQ hit and it was, can Justin Fields recover his draft stock? And my answer was like, yes, 
because it couldn't get any worse. I'm like, he's been just forgotten about him. Like, of course he has to play a little bit better. And then I think he just vaulted himself right back into that number two spot. And who knows, maybe he'll be able to challenge the number one spot with that type of performance, but it was awesome. I just don't know if he'll be able to replicate, replicate that, whether he was a hundred percent or 80% or whatever he is. I just like, that was incredible. That was insane. And I do think Bama will give him more than Clemson did. Yeah, like it's healthy or not, it's going to be really difficult to put up that kind of stat line again. You're right. But I will say the way that that offense looked against Clemson, it looked a lot like the Florida offense. It looked a lot like the Ole Miss offense. It looked a lot like the kind of offenses that have given Alabama trouble this year. So I can't rule it out because like I've talked about when we were on, you know, doing the podcast last week, Chip, what if Ohio state peaks at the right time? And what if that's exactly what is happening right now? What if everybody's kind of found the rhythm? They've kind of figured out what's working for him. What's not Justin Fields is obviously going into this game full of confidence after what he was able to do against Clemson. So maybe I wouldn't be surprised if he has another good game. If he throws six touchdowns, I don't know if that's going to come 22 for 28 which is a 78.6 completion percentage, six touchdowns, one interception, 385 yards. That is an absurd 13.8 yards per attempt. And just in case uh, yards per attempt is not a, a stat that the listener might have on their mind, like seven is about average, right? Yeah. Like seven is your your temperature, your 98.6. Like anything lower than seven, you're like, wow, bad game. Anything above seven, you were like, oh, wow, that was a, that was a pretty good game. Anything double digits normally leads the nation on, on the season. And he damn near doubled it at 13.8 yards per attempt. I do think also... We're going to spend a lot of time talking about Justin Fields, but this emergence of Trey Sermon has been such a difference mm-hmm. in this offense. I mean, he still did carry it 31 times, even with Justin Fields throwing six touchdown pass, almost had 200 yards. After coming off a Big Ten championship game, which we saw what he did there with the record-setting performance, I go back and look at, like, I remember vividly working with Joey Galloway before the 2014 semifinal game. And Galloway was like, oh, they can go physical. They can go, but Ohio State's just as physical as Alabama. They can go toe to toe. I was like, are you sure about that? And sure enough, they did. I think this, this Ohio State team showed me something physically that I do think that, that Trey Sermon will be one of the bigger factors in this game where they will try to run the football and establish that line of scrimmage. And I think that's going to be an incredible matchup to watch. And, I think the, the great thing about Nick Saban is he's evolved as a coach to win championships and he's, he's opened up the offense, but he's also gotten a little bit, and we still had the luxury of having some incredible defensive linemen. They're a little bit longer, a little bit faster on the defensive side of the ball. And how does that work when you know they're coming right at you? I think that's going to be one of the most important matchups of the game. Big time yes. shades of Zeke with yes. Trey Sermon's performance where Zeke went bananas in the Big Ten championship game, bananas in the semifinals, and then again in the championship. Yeah, because it, it takes such a load off of Fields' shoulders because early in the year, like they didn't really have a run game. and Justin Fields had to be the run game as well as the passing game, and it was just kind of wearing on him. So to have somebody else who can carry that kind of load for you and to give the defense something else it has to prepare for and account for, it's been huge for them. Um, on the Alabama side of things, in case that offense has not been terrifying enough, AL.com 
is reporting that Jalen Waddle is back at practice this week. Well, oh man, <laughs> like, uh, I yep. The question has been posed. You know, how does Ohio State win this game? And I think that my answer right now is they win fifty-five to fifty-two or 49 to 45 because even without Jalen Waddle, I was just thinking, yeah, I don't, I don't think that Alabama's offense is going to have trouble scoring in this game. And if Jalen Waddle is out there too, I, I, I don't know what you do. I don't know who you try to stop. I don't know. I don't know where the mistakes are going to come from or if there's going to be enough mistakes to be able to prevent Alabama from at least like hitting its f- average of like 49, 50 points per game. If, if you look at what Ohio state did schematically against Clemson defensively in the secondary, like they were kind of in a way taking the load off of every other defensive back they have besides uh, Sean Wade. They were, they were asking Sean Wade to do a lot. They Sean Wade was responsible for a lot. And I feel like you could maybe employ that same kind of strategy they took against Clemson against Alabama when it's only Devonta Smith. If Jalen Waddles back, I don't know if they could take that same kind of approach. So it's we're, we might be looking at a situation like we saw earlier this year in the secondary. Ohio State had problems, and now if you've got Waddle on one side and Smith on the other, and then you've still got John Mechie, you've still got Jaleel Billingsley, and you've still got to worry about Najee Harris underneath as a runner and also as a pass catcher out of the backfield. That becomes a much more difficult puzzle to solve for the Ohio State defense. So I, I don't think that's news that Ryan Day or anybody in Columbus is reading today that are like, oh, great, cool, happy to hear it. <laughs> I, I don't know. You guys, you guys think he'll go out and like he'll have I, – I just have a hard time believing in one week of practice he's just going to be a, a major influencer in this game. But I think this is genius of Nick Saban to roll him out there, to have him ready – to give them one more thing to think about. It only takes one play with Jalen yeah. though. True. Yeah. He's got such speed. It's like you had, even if he's a decoy, he is a decoy. You cannot ignore. Yep. Uh, <laughs> it's terrifying. Yeah, that's, I think that that's what I'm thinking about for impact too. It's more about the pressure that it puts on Ohio state's defensive staff and on their players and on the preparation. It's just one more thing you got to worry about. I do think that the game plan that we talked about for Notre Dame, which was try to establish some more runs, you know, try to try to take some of that clock off with Trey Sermon running the ball. He is, they'll be able to play a little bit of keep away. The problem is they're so good. They might score too fast <laughs> too. Right. Saying. I mean, then you just get this track meet out there. I mean, early lean on the total. Are you going principled under at 75 and a half? Yes. Chip? Are you going to, yes. you have to, right? Have to. Absolutely have to say national goodness. championship game. And just scores in the nineties though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is going to be a terrifying under for anybody who's on it. Yeah, I'll be on it. I I will be on it. I will be sweating it. And when it is like 28 21 at the end of the first quarter, I'm going to be doing the math in my head for what could happen. I mean, we're going to have more time to break this down uh, moving forward, but it would be an incredible statement of the greatness of Alabama 2020 if they do go out and win that game like 42 to 10. Like if they go out there and play really, really well defensively, shut down Justin Fields, stop the run with Trey Sermon, and are just sort of methodical offensively, that would be a flashback in the worst way 
to Ohio State teams making the BCS National Championship game and losing to an SEC team. If that happens, we might have to have Barton on to ask him if they're the greatest team of all time or if that's still LSU. You know, if he answers our texts. Yeah, I don't know if he's going to answer our texts. <laughs> We're still working on securing the general manager of Vanderbilt for a future spot here on the Cover 3 podcast. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Danny Cannell. You can follow him at Tom Fernell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Anchor down.